0: Hi everyone, back at you with another episode of ESEC Lending Insights, where we keep it unscripted, real, and interesting. Unscripted, Peter, I would say that's definitely true, but interesting. Why don't we let our listeners decide on that one? What we are here to do, folks, is share with you our thoughts and perspectives on the securities lending industry, whether that be about demand trends or just what's going on in the industry. And now over to our episode. Let's go. We are back with another episode of ESEC Lending Insights today. And back by popular demand, we have Ed Oliver, who heads up our ESEC Lending Europe office, as well as our product development efforts for the company. And Ed, thank you for joining us again to talk about CSDR. When I say back by popular demand, it's because, interestingly, and maybe surprising to some, possibly not to you, of course, is that our podcast episode from the fall, where you first talked to us about CSDR, was one of our better listened podcast episodes in a number of months. So people are interested to hear what you have to say on the topic clearly.
1: Yeah, no, happy to. By the way, I need to give that feedback to Jim Maroney about the listenership for this podcast, get him to step up his game.
0: Yes, you definitely should. You know what he'll actually do? He's going to go calling all of his buddies and if they aren't already listening to him, he's going to make sure they do and get those listen rates up is my guess.
1: Probably the case. Anyway, (laughs) couldn't leave that without saying it.
0: So we thought with CSDR going live in terms of the implementation on February the 1st, that we would do a check-in. And so I know it's still probably incredibly too early to comment on certain things because time is going to tell in terms of the success of the regulation, creating greater market efficiencies for settlement, as well as what ultimately the costs and sort of penalties feel like to participants in the market. And I know even that the first reporting cycle that maybe we can talk about in more detail won't hit. Until next month, I think. And so there's probably still a whole lot to learn as we go forward in the coming days and months. But since the fall, a lot has changed. So maybe you can walk us through where we are now, one day into the go live of CSDR.
1: So, yeah, so one day into CSDR. And I think, as we said back in the fall when we spoke, we could see this was going to evolve over time because there were so many moving parts to CSDR. I think practically not everyone was going to be ready for day one, where you've got everything where you want it to be perfectly. So I do think if there's one strong message to everybody, it's that this is going to evolve. And as you see your reports for the first time, as you start to consider what is driving the penalties that are showing on those reports, it's going to change behaviour for some people. And as that behaviour change, hopefully it will lead to the regulators ultimately getting what they are trying to achieve by introducing the regulation in the first place, which is more efficient settlement practice.
0: And so what do you mean by you think it's going to change behavior? You think it's going to change operational behavior, or you think it's going to change behavior around what trades are actually done in the first place? What do you mean by that?
1: I think it's the foremost, the operational behavior. Yeah. I think nobody should be stopping doing what they're doing because CSDR exists. It's basically a case of as you start to see the types of transactions that are being hit with penalties, I think it's natural that people will say, okay, so what are we doing wrong? What could we be doing differently to prevent that happening? And I don't think the the fines by themselves are necessarily massive enough that it's going to drive everybody to think I've got to re-resource my operations team to make this different. But I think they are going to be sufficient that people will say, that's a bit of a wake-up call. I hadn't realized that I was picking up that much in the way of penalties every month in such and such a market.
0: When you talk about people perhaps learning from it and having a bit of a wake up moment, you're more referring to agent lenders and or borrowing counterparts in the market more so than an end beneficial owner lender, correct? I mean, I appreciate that there might be things that The whole chain can improve upon because of course, beneficial owner can improve upon notification of a sale and just making that more efficient too. But you're speaking more to settlement instructions, matching and things such as that between the agent and a borrower or a direct lender and a borrower, right?
1: Yeah, I think so certainly when you come into our world, that's exactly it. I mean, clearly there's a lot of things that happen in broader settlements that people will be focusing on as well and seeing trends in. I think in our world, it's worth just reiterating some of the things we said last time round as to what we think are the main things that are going to drive penalties. So, for example, when we're lending securities, what we see as the major break there is the settlement instructions. You know, someone's got the wrong settlement instructions in their system. So that's probably not sustainable. There's a reason for having a fail. So what you'd expect to see is people improving whatever systems or vendor solutions they're using to track SSIs in such a way that that will, over time, start to vanish as a reason for having a fail penalty. And that's good. I think everyone would understand that's an area that in our business has probably not been perfect for some time. And this is the catalyst to improving that. And then on the return side, the reasons we have fails, the reasons we're going to continue to probably have fails is because borrowers don't always have the securities to return. And I think the behaviour there will be looked at quite closely in the borrower community as to how much do they base their returns on sort of what they think is going to happen contractually versus what actually is happening with their physical positions. Just because they think the security is going to come back from their end borrower, do they instruct to return to us as lending agent? Or do they wait for actually to be back physically and then instruct the return?
0: Because two days ago's world, pre-CSDR, it would have been common for a dealer, knowing that they were pending in a return to them, they would probably put those settlement instructions out in the market to return to us. And what you're saying is, is that might cause a behavior change where they need to see that security back physically with themselves prior to instructing the return back to their counterpart.
1: Exactly. Okay. There's a couple of very easy examples of potential behavior change. And as I said, at the start, if we start to see the numbers coming through, start to assess what is meaningful and every lending agent, every borrower will have probably a different determination as to what is a meaningful number. But I think we will start to see some of those things improve. I think if we look at our experience of yesterday, we know that we had fails yesterday that have been failing in these markets for a few days. And one of the things that we perhaps might have expected to see is a little bit more focus on clearing those up. We didn't really see that happen yesterday. So that is something that it'll be interesting to see as we go through the next few days and weeks. Are people going to get on top of the fails a little bit earlier and see if there's anything they can do to resolve those? And those
0: are situations where counterparty, where security has been out on recall and they've yet to secure the position back and make the return. And so you're saying that you would have hoped and expected that they could have put the pressure on him and figured out how to get those securities back faster. Right. Yeah. It will be interesting to see what the tolerance level is by counterpart and probably by asset type market, et cetera, going forward. So that's interesting.
1: Yeah, no, it is. That's something we're going to obviously monitor closely ourselves. We'll continue talking to our borrowing counterparties as well and over time, I do think things will improve and that will ultimately be regulators want to see. And the other thing to remember as well is not just the fail penalties that are being levied. There will also be reporting to regulators on the fails as well. And how much will they be questioning the data they're getting and interrogating the counterparties about what's going on there?
0: Right. And so that's what I was going to ask. Are there any real known consequences to counterparts outside of just the economic penalty costs?
1: Yeah, not at this stage. I mean, I okay. think as, as we've seen with other regulation, I think they'll let things settle down a little bit before they start to think about, okay, what are they potentially going to do to escalate when necessary?
0: Let's maybe talk about when it comes to the reporting, where there are consistencies across the market amongst the various custodians and counterparts and where perhaps there's also differences in the way people are handling information and the reporting transparency of the various debits or credits that can be applied. So can you maybe speak to that a little bit? And also, I guess I'd be interested to know the differences between what organizations might do on a daily basis to sort of monitor activity and how they can see that reporting versus then a monthly true up on a netting that will occur of debits and credits on any penalties and how that might work
1: so let's run through the timelines. So here we are at the start of February. So what should be happening every day through February is that the CSDs will be providing reporting to the global custodians who will then be providing uh, reporting to their clients. So you should get a sense of a daily report that shows what you have seen based upon activity from yesterday. So each client should potentially be able to see that. And then you have 10 days at the beginning of the next calendar month where you can challenge any penalty that you feel has been unfairly allocated in your direction. And then there'll be a true up after that. And then finally, it's on the 15th business day of the, the following month, you get a monthly report that shows all of your penalties from the previous month.
0: So if someone really does want to monitor it closely, though, they probably need to be paying attention throughout the month on a near daily basis in order to then use that first 10-day period of a subsequent month properly if they were to want to challenge anything prior to then the net of debits and credits being applied by mid-month following. While it's a monthly process to apply the net debits and credits, it really ultimately is a daily oversight that many would probably put in place.
1: Yeah, I think, and particularly for what I would call normal custody transactions, Uh I think that's where you would expect it. I think what we see in securities finance and certainly the discussions at an industry level is that there is going to obviously still be the facility to claim your counterparty even after you, if the 10 day window's been and gone
0: outside um, of the CSD is what you're saying
1: exactly yeah, right. okay. yeah so we you know there's a facility and it's been in place for many years around sell fail costs and things like that that will continue to happen whereby we've been on the wrong side or we feel we're on the wrong side of a penalty then we'll be able to claim that off the counterparty. So so that sort of activity, if you're not ready for that 10-day window, that's not the end of the world when it's related to a securities finance transaction.
0: We would have spoken about it probably last fall, but for beneficial owners or for lenders, the ultimate end clients, the concern around penalties and costs to participate in lending, that overall, I know that the analysis that we've done for many months, and it sounds like probably other market participants have performed similar analysis, has shown that we would anticipate that the debits and credits from loan transactions, from the loan and returns, would ultimately produce to the beneficial owner account probably more than sufficient credits because there's anticipated to be more debits that occur with the borrower than there would be to the lender, that we think that those overall credits still would probably far outweigh what would be expected on any sell transaction, fail debits, so that ultimately the cost to a lender's lending program, cost shouldn't increase in any sort of meaningful way. And we would expect in in many respects, maybe to ultimately have some lenders that actually end up in a net positive credit situation, even after some self-fail activities. Is that a fair summary that I just made? And then I guess my question is, if it is, when do we feel like we'll be able to prove that out? And I appreciate that things can change over time, but, you know, do we feel like after one month of activity that we're going to have better evidence to really support that expectation for clients?
1: Yeah, so I think your summary is right. So all the analysis we did showed that clients generally were in a credit position at the okay. end of the month, assuming you know, the securities finance transactions aligned with their sell fails as a result of late returns. So yes, I agree with that. So we have relationships with probably 10 or 11 custodians on behalf of our clients who are transacting in the EU markets. Now, for most of those custodians, we won't actually have sight of the reporting because the debits and credits are being passed back to the client's account, and we won't see those. And our view on that is for those clients, our summary of what we've seen and what we expect to see is that they will be in credit most months, and therefore they should continue to take those credits and advise us if there's anything they see that they might be particularly concerned about or they think is related to a securities lending transaction. So for those, Brooke, I don't think we will know necessarily each month, where do we end up? Okay, now the fact is, if we've not got people banging down our door, then probably our summary of everything we've seen so far is going to be continuing and that ultimately securities finance transactions are leading to a credit position. But we do have a few custodians that are able to break all of that information out for us and report to us for the securities finance transactions and also in a couple of cases where the sale fails are happening as a result of a late return. And in those situations, we absolutely will have the information on the first month as to, okay, are we actually where we thought we were going to be? And those will be the interesting ones to track from that point on and see each month, is there an evolution to lower credit numbers because of better settlement efficiency on the borrower side?
0: Great. Okay. What would you predict for those custodians that have built reporting to provide ultimately the transparency to both their client as well as a lending agent around debits and credits and being able to show and separate out loan and return transactions, etc.? To me, that's a competitive advantage that some custodians have built in for themselves today, and that ultimately clients will be happier. It'll be overall more operationally efficient for all parties involved. And so the fact that a number of custodians don't have that reporting capability offered today, do you think that that's going to be adequate? Do you think that those custodians? perhaps over time are going to be pressured to provide that reporting to clients. I kind of see this like potential conflict coming at some point amongst clients and custodians on this topic, if not, but am I making a bigger deal out of it than it might be?
1: I think the fact is that where we do get the information and the transparency, we're obviously able to then do the heavy lifting for clients in terms of analyzing their data points and posting those penalties appropriately. So for clients who don't use a custodian that do provide that granularity of information, they're having to do a lot more oversight. So my expectation would be that if I'm a lender, and I'm aware that some custodians are offering that transparency and granularity, I'd probably be looking for my custodian to do the same thing. So I think that's where if you go back to the pressure being applied, I think the pressure from the lender side is likely to be applied to those custodians that can't break them out. And that helps us, of course, as well. We want to be able to assist our clients with that analysis and feedback on
0: what's going on. Okay, so when do you think we should next check in on this topic? I mean, we just asked ourselves the question of whether after a month's worth of data... We'll really know a lot more. And the answer was sort of, in some cases, we will. And it might be an interesting sort of mini case study in that sense. But when do you think the market will more broadly feel as though, yes, this is changing the efficiency of settlement? Yes, this is working as intended originally by the regulation. Do you think that that's a six-month time period? Do you think it's shorter than that? I mean, does anyone have a prediction? I
1: think it'd be interesting just to check in again at the sort of start of April. Once we've seen the first month's data come through, the first month's credit slash debit being applied, we'll have a sense of how did that first month actually go. So I think certainly in terms of touching base, I think the start of April, we'll have our first, I think, initial outputs on that. But six months seems a reasonable timeframe for what are the trends? What are the industry talking points that still exist as a result of CSDR going into place? And has anything evolved? Or are we still where I said we were yesterday on day one? that failed trades happen and are continuing to happen. So right. I think that will be interesting to take a look at it in that time frame.
0: Okay. Well, great. Well, Ed, thank you for chatting with me again about this topic. I know we spend a lot of time talking about it off record, so it's good to go on record. And hopefully our listeners have learned a little bit along the way. It's a involved topic. There's a lot of complexities to it. So if you do have questions, don't hesitate to reach out to us directly. Ed loves to talk about this in detail. I would be happy to do a direct conversation with anyone interested in more information, or if you just have general questions that you want us to cover uh, the next time we regroup on it at the beginning of April, we're happy to do that as well. So Ed, thank you and good luck throughout this month and next as we wade through the reconciliation of all of this. And then we'll look forward to chatting again at the beginning of April.
1: Yeah, we'll be back with more. Thanks, Brooke.
0: Thanks, Ed. Thanks for listening, everybody. Hope we left you with something interesting and productive to utilize in your daily securities lending activities. And friends, don't forget to subscribe to ESEC Lending Insights wherever you get your podcasts. And now for our disclaimer. This material is for your private information and does not constitute legal tax or investment advice. There's no representation or warranty as to the current accuracy of nor liability for decisions based upon such information. Thank you for listening.